Oh my goodness. So we're like five minutes in and my mind is already blown. And that's why they can't say that bed sharing is safe because it's including things that we'll get to are inherently unsafe. In this episode, we welcome Louise Roy to the show to talk about the safety of bed sharing. As necessary for this discussion, we frequently talk about infant cot death and how to lower baby's risk of sudden unexpected infant death. If at any point you find yourself triggered or bothered by the information, please stop and seek further support. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Carmen, and I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor. And I'm Ruth Green, an international birth doula. And this is the Having a Baby in China podcast. reminder, this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. The views expressed here are the personal opinions of individuals and do not necessarily reflect any official stance or recommendation by having a baby in China. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, Ruth. I'm super excited because we have a great guest, actually somebody that we have wanted to have on the show from the beginning and schedule wise and everything. It's, you know, it's just hard to line everybody's schedules up. So anyways, we are welcoming to the show today, Luis Roy. Luis, we're so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and who's in your family and what you've done for the last few years or the last decade? I mean, I don't actually know. How long have you been in the birth world? And yeah, tell us about the amazing things that you do. (laughs) Well, that's a big question. (laughs) You've just said, tell me everything about you. (laughs) Um, Where to start? Well, I was born on a Friday afternoon at 3.30. I... I actually started working with babies and I joke about this, but I started working with babies when I was about three years old because Mm -hmm. my parents were foster parents and they would foster babies before they were adopted. And so my mother having four kids plus foster kids in and out didn't have enough hands. So I would be holding babies and feeding babies and Mm -hmm. eventually changing nappies and all of that sort of thing. So this is all in Australia where I grew up. And then I started, no surprise, working with babies as a nanny while I was in university Uh where I was doing a degree in archaeology and anthropology and linguistics. (laughs) So not to do with um, birth and babies so much, but that's really maintained or formed a big part of my my perspective now because babies, families, archaeology and anthropology is study of culture and human mm-hmm. culture has kind of put all, everything together in what my work has ended up being over the years. So over yeah. the years then I certified as a uh, childbirth doula and lactation educator counselor among other things <laughs> and <laughs> I ended up working in the field of childbirth and perinatal support in Shanghai from Mm -hmm. about 2005 to 2022 last year. Mm -hmm. So last year in December, my family and I moved to Australia. So it's me and my French Canadian husband from Montreal and our two kids. And we've relocated to Australia, but I'm still working remotely in China. Uh, And I think that's one of the silver linings that COVID taught us to do was to expand (laughs) our 
mindset of what an office looks like. So I'm not doing hands-on support anymore, but I am still working. And the last six years I was working with Ferguson Health in Shanghai and Mm -hmm. we're an independent uh, international clinic. In this year, Ferguson Health has actually merged with Amsino Healthcare. And so I'm still uh, very much involved as much as I can be with that and with the community in Shanghai and you know, pretty excited that we can do all of this from all over the world, but, yes. you know, trying to deliver a personalized health care to families. That's amazing. Yeah. I've always thought it was interesting how, you know, you've told me before that your studies were in anthropology, but you always manage to make it incredibly relevant to whatever you're sharing with people. Like it adds like this extra layer of not just, well, this is what the science today says, but this is kind of the historical background to it. So you can always count on getting a really in-depth answer and incredibly on-point answer from Luis if you ever ask her a question <laughs> on anything. I hope you feel that it's on point. <laughs> you know, look, I've, I've always said, and I say it for everything, context is everything. Yes, We cannot understand why or how something is done without understanding the context that it's being done in. And context of human behavior is human culture and human history, Yeah, current and past. So we have to understand it to understand ourselves and understand how best to support the people in our communities. Yeah. Well, the topic we chose for today is incredibly large, and so we're going to try and jump right into that because context is important and we want to have space for that as well. So, uh, Luis, today we've asked you just to talk with our listeners about co-sleeping, and we appreciate your sensitivity because we know this is a very heated topic, and I couldn't think of someone better equipped to treat this topic with sensitivity and integrity and the research and everything else that, you know, we would hope. So thanks so much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's, um, yeah, it is a huge topic and it is quite a sensitive topic. (laughs) And I think most people are coming into this with a bias Mm -hmm. that we've inherently absorbed through our cultures. Yeah. Not to say bias is necessarily negative. It's just where we're coming in from it. So we kind Mm -hmm. of have to take that aside and look at what is the research? What is the latest statements from different governing organizations around the world to come to an understanding of what parents can do in their own environments Mm -hmm. to be safe with their babies? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do you want to start off with kind of Well, there's two things. Like one is the kind of history, like maybe some context of maybe where people Mm. are coming from. But then also I think it's important that we get a definition of what exactly is co-sleeping and then you hear bed sharing and room sharing. Mm. And so, yeah, what what are these Mm -hmm. terms and what do they mean? Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start. So the definitions are really important. And When we look at definitions and we say co-sleeping, co-sleeping, and I think we could use this definition here today, is sleeping anywhere with a baby. Mm. It could be in the same room, it could be in the same bed, Mm -hmm. or it could be a sofa, an armchair, whatever else it is. So that would be co-sleeping. Yeah, I think that's really important to note because I think a lot of parents would say, I would never dream of Mm co-sleeping, but then they don't connect that with, I'm snuggling with the baby in the armchair and I fall asleep and the baby falls asleep. Exactly. So you are co-sleeping anytime you sleep or a baby sleeps with you. Okay. 
essentially. Bed sharing is the baby sleeping in your bed. Mm. Room sharing is the baby sleeping in the same room as you. That might be your bed or it might be a separate bed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or it might be a sidecar bed. So you could already see that this is very complex. If we will say for the purpose of this discussion today, room sharing is the baby sleeping in their own bed, a cot or crib, separate to your bed. Okay. And bed sharing is the baby sleeping in your bed. Mm -hmm. And we can differentiate that from one more definition, which is surface sharing. Mm. So surface sharing would include bed, sofa, couch, same thing, armchair, Mm -hmm you know, any of those other things. So if we were to say bed sharing means the baby's in your adult bed, surface sharing is the baby's with you on a bed or a sofa, we have to specify. However, (laughs) this is where it gets really confusing because the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uses bed sharing to mean surface sharing. (laughs) So when they say bed sharing and they look at bed sharing research, they're actually looking at adult bed and sofa, armchair, recliner, rocker, glider. Oh, my goodness. So we're like five minutes in and my mind is already blown. Like, of course, that's going to change the statistics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll get into that. Exactly. (laughs) And that's why they can't say that bed sharing is safe because it's including things that we'll get to are inherently unsafe. Hi. The UK guidelines, the NICE guidelines, are discussing co-sleeping. So then they look at all the different surfaces. Mm. Okay. And in looking at the different surfaces, they specify out what is uh, more risky and what is less risky. Mm -hmm. Mm. Whereas the AAP says, they actually say, we don't have enough information to say that bed sharing is safe. Mm -hmm. They're not saying Mm. it's not safe. They're saying it is essentially unknown to be safe or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so would you mind talking through the NICE guidelines? Well, first off, what is NICE and and then what the NICE guidelines are for co-sleeping and risk factors? It's a really wonderful acronym, isn't it? It's better than (laughs) the horrid guidelines. Uh, So NICE stands for the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which is a UK organization, for want of a better word. And they will take all sorts of information and they're requested by UK governing health bodies to do guidelines. So they'll look at all the research, they'll spend years on it, they will put out committee opinions and then the guidelines on it. And this guideline in particular, if anyone is looking for it, is a NICE guideline NG194. And it is an evidence review underpinning all the recommendations for postnatal care, co-sleeping risk factors. This was put out in 2021. Oh, okay. I had a question because also there's like the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. They also have like Mm -hmm. protocols and they just recently published one. What's the difference then between the NICE and AVM? Yeah. I don't know what the difference is. Are they both out of the UK? I assumed one is like, so NICE is just UK, whereas the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is like worldwide. It has more global reach, but what I have found in trying to discuss these guidelines or different guidelines with healthcare Mm -hmm. professionals is that the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine doesn't carry as much weight as 
the other government's guidelines. So I tend okay. to look at the ABM guidelines, which are fantastic. Mm-hmm. They absolutely are really fantastic good. and so in-depth and so well-researched. Mm-hmm. And then look at how other kind of governments are looking at it. And, you know, the honest factor is that the NICE guidelines and the ABM, they look at the same research. Okay. Mm, yeah. The NICE guidelines was made up of a committee of experts, panel of experts that came from all sorts of different backgrounds too. And I like that, that they are Mm. pediatricians and anthropologists and, you know, all sorts of backgrounds from people who are, you know, very, very qualified in breastfeeding to people who are, you know, don't really understand what breastfeeding is about, but more qualified in anthropology Mm -hmm. or, you know, other things. Mm. So they're putting a really good cohort together to try and figure out what does the evidence say and in doing so try to kind of work around some of the biases Mm -hmm. so these guidelines came out april 2021 the nice guidelines and basically they look through all of the information sorted through high quality and low quality evidence disregarded studies that were not solid evidence-based studies Mm -hmm. and went through to find what are the risk factors in relation to co-sleeping for a sudden unexpected death in infancy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're really talking yeah. about is does co-sleeping increase risk of your baby dying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They identified risks and narrowed those down to the type of surface, whether the co-sleeping or bed sharing in particular surface sharing was planned versus unplanned, uh, whether there was alcohol, medication, drugs, smoking, vaping, etc., in the baby's environment currently or in the mother prenatally. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which makes a big difference. Mm. The type of bedding, the temperature of the room, and if there more than one bed sharer or the position of the baby in the bed creates risk. So these were kind of their areas of looking at were these risks, because these have been proposed risks in the past. Mm-hmm. This is not to say that all those points were risky ultimately, yeah. but these were what they were looking at. Ultimately what they found their recommendations were to be was that the baby should be, if they're in the parent's bed, that it's on a firm mattress with their baby on their back. Mm -hmm. So the normal back to bed for safer sleep, babies on their back. Now, they do look at research that says if the baby rolls on the side to breastfeed, that it's probably fine, but they don't want to be putting the baby on their stomach to sleep next to Mm -hmm. a parent Mm -hmm. or on their stomach to sleep actually in any surface. Exactly. So they're just kind of carrying that over from the general safe sleep recommendations. They also found that not sleeping on a sofa or chair, so bed sharing as opposed to surface sharing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They found that you should not be using any extra pillows or quilts on the baby. Okay. But the parents can. Okay. So at one point they were saying that parents shouldn't have pillows if they're in the bed with a baby. Parents can have pillows, but the baby shouldn't be on a pillow. Yeah. So, but when, you know, like the baby is sleeping next to the mother, but like then the mother has a cover over her, but, you know, then the baby's there. So how does that Mm -hmm. work? Because the baby does get a little bit covered. 
So that was okay, so long as there's no extra pillows and quilts over the baby. So the baby isn't wrapped in their own quilt or covered by their own quilt, then covered by the mother's quilt. Or the baby isn't in a uh, sleeping bag and then covered by the mother's quilt because that's too much. Okay. Mm -hmm. When we talk about quilts in bed, the general advice, and this is followed by a lot of organizations, is that the parent's quilt should be a thinner quilt than some of the big puffy ones that we have, just because the puffy ones are stiffer and can slide up over easily, whereas a draped a quilt that would drape more mm-hmm. would be safer because it's not going to accidentally slide up over a baby. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be any other children or pets in the bed with the baby. And there shouldn't be more than two units of alcohol consumed by the parents sleeping with the baby or medications that are making them sleepy. Mm-hmm. So a unit of alcohol, is that like mm. one beer or like like one shot, you know, one glass of wine, you know, are those? If a drink is calculated as a standard drink, one standard drink should be about one unit of alcohol. Okay. Some drinks are not poured as standard drinks, especially if somewhere is pouring, pouring very generously yeah. or you're, yeah, glug, glug, glug. <laughs> so that needs to be kind of looked at. And it is a good exercise for somebody who is, you know, sharing a bed with a baby or breastfeeding to actually look at how much, how many ounces is in a standard drink of their drink mm-hmm. of choice Mm-hmm. and how much are they actually pouring in their glass. You know, measure it out in a yeah, measuring yeah. cup and just kind of come to that understanding of the old like one, two, three may not be very accurate. Mm-hmm. And we actually talked about specifically alcohol and breastfeeding recently in the most recent listener Q&A that we've just published. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to hear just some of the specific recommendations for breastfeeding and alcohol too. Yeah, and that's another really sensitive area with a lot of myth and misinformation. Yeah, and Jacqueline does a really great job of addressing those. So the next risk reduction strategy that they identified is not smoking in bed, sorry, Mm -hmm. is not smoking anywhere in or outside of the house and then sharing the bed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They also specify not sharing a bed with anybody who's taking recreational drugs or Mm -hmm. non-recreational drugs that have the side effect of making one very sleepy. Mm -hmm. And they do say that their statement is aimed at term babies Mm. and babies that are more than 2.5 kilograms, so 2,500 grams at birth at any gestational age. So even if they were term but they were very small, then they don't fall into the statement. There is known risk factors for premature babies Mm -hmm. and babies who are very small, very low birth weight Mm -hmm. for increased rate of sudden infant death. Um, And that hasn't fully been studied, like the mechanism for it and why. So they're saying that for for this purpose, the statement is not including those babies. So those are the points they're saying will increase risk. So I have a question about those preterm or really small babies. Is there a point that they've grown big enough that then it is safe or safer? It's really hard to say because if they're premature, their brain develops differently in the same way that babies' brains develop differently if a parent smokes during the pregnancy. So Mm. that doesn't suddenly change when they get to an adjusted gestational Mm -hmm. age. However, some studies do say that by the time they reach X or Y or Z age, 
that they will be safer. This is really, you know, it's so dependent on the baby's own health and their own health at birth. Mm-hmm. And what was going on in the pregnancy and what was going on, what was the, their weight at their gestational age and the prematurity and all of that? What degree of prematurity did they have? So I think it's really something that needs to be taken in a, a one-on-one basis, case by case. The real issue, though, is that in doing that, you know, we could say, ask your healthcare provider, but depending on where your healthcare provider is certified, they may not be comfortable with going against the governing body, for example, the American Academy of Pediatrics, to say that, yeah, actually, it's probably okay for you to bed share. Yeah. So asking your pediatrician may not give you an evidence-based answer. It may Mm -hmm. give you the standard answer. Yeah. So can we take a moment to talk about like the actual risks? What are the numbers that we're looking at? Yeah, exactly. You know, all of the things that I just said are all the risk factors that the NICE guidelines identified as increasing risk if one Mm -hmm. is sharing a surface with their baby. If we take out those increased risks, and this is what we're talking about is risk reduction, Mm -hmm. then sleeping with the baby in your bed is no more dangerous than a baby sleeping in their own cot. That's Mm -hmm. what actually the research has found. Mm -hmm. And because of this, the fact that bed sharing is not inherently dangerous, Mm -hmm. it's the co-factors around it that may not be so safe. The NICE guidelines actually found it to be unethical to tell parents not Mm -hmm. to bed share and found it unethical not to tell parents how to bed share safely. So not only are they saying it's unethical to tell people not to do it. They're actually even taking it a step farther and saying, we actually need to teach people how to do it properly. Exactly. And the reason for that is that, you know, over 50%, and this is done by research of questionnaire, so it's probably underreported, but over 50%, some things say over 80% of parents in the US sleep in a bed with their baby for some or all of the night. Wow. So if we're not teaching how to do it safely, it is unethical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the blanket statement has been for so many years, do not right. sleep in a bed with your baby. Always put your baby on a separate surface. And that means that there's no room in that equation for parents to open a conversation with their healthcare providers to ask, how do I do this safely? Yeah. What is the risk for me personally in my situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they go into their pediatric um, appointment and they're like, they already know that the doctor's going to say this is unsafe. So they're not going to bring it up and say, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, like, or they, if it does, like, for whatever reason, it'd be like, well, I know you're going to say this is really bad, but, you know, my baby sleeps in bed with me, you know, like. Yeah. And the guilt and shame that's passed on around that means that people don't feel comfortable having proper discussions about it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that that guilt and shame just shouldn't be there. If people are bed sharing safely, it's as safe as a baby sleeping in a crib safely. Mm -hmm. A crib isn't an inherently safe place. Mm -hmm. We're taught how to do that safely. Yeah. A bed, a parent's bed isn't an inherently unsafe place. It's also not an inherently safe place. It has to be done safely. 
So instead of teaching how all these environments can be done safely, the message is just don't do it. And that's not realistic. When you look at that message has been going on for years and still parents are sleeping with their babies. And Mm -hmm. that message, you know, if we look, we talked about history in the beginning of our discussion. If we look at history, babies were dying in parents' beds throughout history. Mm -hmm. And it was assumed to be a problem of the parent bed. It was assumed to be a problem of overlaying the mother overlaying onto the baby it was assumed to be a societal and social demographic problem as well once Mm -hmm. families started becoming richer and could afford to put their babies in another bed what they found was actually that even in those times even in the 1800s doctors noticed that babies were dying more from overlaying on saturday nights So after their Saturday night drinking. Exactly. Like, how is this? This was noted so long ago. There were some studies that showed some research or some some letters, really, it was at that point, opinion letters, that they looked at from one year to the next, the number of babies that died dropped. And the only thing that changed in that time was that um, drinking hours and pub opening times and things like that had been Mm -hmm. uh, restricted. Oh, wow. And the baby deaths changed. The babies weren't getting out of the beds at that stage. Yeah. Once we got into the 1900s and babies started going out of the parents' beds, mm. guess what happened? Since death, babies still kept dying. Mm. Yeah. So we've taken babies out of the parents' bed and it didn't make a difference. What's made a difference in taking the babies out of their beds was the research around putting babies on their backs to sleep, not smoking mm-hmm. in the baby's environment, increasing breastfeeding rates. That mm-hmm. actually does save babies' lives. So what we do know is the bed is not inherently unsafe. What we also do know is that breastfeeding rates reduces risk of sudden infant death. So the more babies are breastfed, the less there is sudden infant death. We know this. What we do know about the anti-bed sharing policies is that not bed sharing, so taking babies out of the parent bed, Mm -hmm. is associated with lower rates of breastfeeding and earlier weaning Mm. to formula. Yeah. Yeah. We also know that taking babies out of a parent bed increases the risk of a parent falling asleep with a baby on a sofa, a chair, a glider, a breastfeeding uh, recliner. And we know that that also increases sudden infant death risks. Mm -hmm. It increases it somewhere between 22 to 67 times. Wow. Wow. That's, wow. So the general statement is it's 50 times more likely. Mm Mm-hmm. That your baby will die with you on a sofa asleep than in your bed asleep. Mm. So what all this is saying is that the recommendations against bed sharing, which is something that is not inherently dangerous, Mm -hmm. is actually increasing risks when it's obeyed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're not comparing, for example, like putting babies on their back to sleep or putting babies on their stomach. There was no risk in turning a baby over. Yeah. But the statement for not bed sharing carries risks. It carries risks Mm. of other behavior that is more likely to increase SIDS. Mm. And it carries that risk based on an assumption that actually is wrong. Mm. Mm. The assumption that bed sharing is unsafe is not evidence-based. 
So this is where we start to say, well, is it ethical to make this statement or is it unethical? Is it ethical to say, just don't do it Mm -hmm. or is it unethical? And some people even liken that to like sex education. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that it's really important to kind of create almost like three categories even. Like there's safe bed sharing, right? And then there's unsafe co-sleeping and then there's not co-sleeping, right? So- And unsafe, not co-sleeping. And unsafe, not co-sleeping. So really four categories. Yeah. Basically, there's safe sleeping or safer, safer infant sleep, which is what it is now, not safe sleep. So safer infant sleep, there's risk reduction wherever a baby sleeps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those risk reduction techniques and kind of categories need to be taught so that parents can make their best decisions based on where the baby is at that moment. Yeah. Is a baby on you in a in a breastfeeding chair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're feeling sleepy. I need to make the decision to get up and either put my baby in their bed or put the baby in the bed with me cuz I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know like yeah. the chair is not unsafe. Mm. Yeah. The parent asleep with a baby in a chair sleeping is unsafe. Yeah, because you're breastfeeding and you're you're tired, you have to get up in the middle of the night, you're like, "Oh, well, I know, like I'm told that I can't sleep with the, mm-hmm. my baby in the bed. So I need to get up and, and sit in this chair, except for mm-hmm. it's the middle of the night and you're extremely tired. So then mm-hmm. you're feeding and then you fall asleep. And then, you know, that's yeah. what's the unsafe as opposed to, you know, it's actually safer to bring the baby in your bed. And then, you know, like yeah. whether you stay there or, you know, have a baby. And I don't think there is a parent alive in the world that hasn't had that situation where they started yeah. to get sleepy. Yeah. And even kind of, whoa, okay, I'm falling asleep. Now, I've seen social media discussions of tips for mothers who are breastfeeding to use airplane pillows and like cervical neck collars and stuff to hold their head while they fall asleep while sitting up and breastfeeding their baby. Like that's considered a tip, Hmm. which is not safe. (laughs) It's not safe because if you're asleep holding your baby, your arms relax. The baby can wiggle into cushions. The baby can fall out of your arms and fall down the side of a sofa and get wedged. The baby can slide off your chest. And these images are everywhere and they're so cute. Mm. They're so dang cute to see daddy lying on his back on a sofa holding the baby and they're both sleeping peacefully. They're like very seductive. Mm-hmm. But we don't see the images of mother and baby properly in a bed together or parents properly in a bed together done safely because that imagery just isn't there. It isn't available. It is available now. There are some, what do you call it, a repository uh, Mm. of stock photos of proper bed sharing that's been done by uh, people who are trying to get these images available for people to use on social media, to use in campaigns, to use in all these things. But really what we see is this rhetoric of bed sharing is unsafe. And, you know, there were campaigns in the US that actually had the visual image of a baby lying in bed with like a giant like butcher, butcher knife. knife. <clears throat> yeah, they just talked about this on the midwife's cauldron. What? Mhm. To give the imagery that it is so dangerous to sleep with your baby, it's like putting your baby to sleep with a butcher's knife. Yes. So this is this generational kind of like this is unsafe, don't do this. And yet that's not actually based on proper information. It's a blanket statement based at assuming 
that people don't have the wherewithal to do something safely, to take mm-hmm. the information and decide for them and their families, do I qualify to do this safely? Do I have the setup to do this safely? Am I smoking? Am I drinking? Mm-hmm. So the statement is just, let's assume that nobody can do this safely and tell everybody to put their baby in a bed, but then that doesn't actually happen. Yeah. yeah. Babies yeah. aren't staying all night in the parent's bed because babies are little baby mammals that need their parent and they need to feed frequently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have so many notes written for this and at one point throughout my note-taking, I just wrote on my paper paternalism and circled it (laughs) because what the statement is, what this is saying is saying, I don't trust you enough to give you the information to do this safely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to decide for you. And that is the essence of paternalism in our medical care, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other discussion. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's a very important discussion. It's a very important discussion. (laughs) That's what we'll have you on next time to talk about, Louise. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. We'll give you all the difficult (laughs) topics. Yeah, let's do that one. If we really want to, you want to get that soapbox well and truly under my feet, let's do that one. (laughs) So where does that bring us? Can we talk actual numbers? Because I think, yeah, especially because I think everybody knows of somebody who knows of somebody who lost a baby, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Due to SIDS. It is so emotionally driven because it's pretty much one of the worst things that can ever happen to a parent. Absolutely. And so could we talk about the numbers? Because I feel like for me, this really made a big difference for helping me to relax a little bit and also to own our decisions about the information that we knew. Yeah. So different countries have different rates. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Part Mm -hmm. of that was initially reporting Okay. And recording of uh, SIDS, whether it was recorded as SIDS or sudden infant death or sudden unexpected death of an infant, or whether it was recorded as strangulation or something else. So, mm-hmm. asphyxiation. Yeah, exactly. In the last 10 to 15 years, most countries are going with the World Health Organization's kind of recording or reporting uh, kind of categories of it. So the stats now are less likely to be affected by the recording methods. But we can look at, for example, the US. And the US has, as of 2019, it's 90.1 deaths per 100,000 live births. Okay, so it's it's very small, thankfully. Okay, so it's less than one in a thousand. Yeah. Okay, and then that is just across the board. Like if you were to take all babies and all sudden infant death, correct? Yeah. This isn't taking into account any risk factors. This is just like across the board. Yeah. And interestingly, like the language around that is really interesting. So when we look at, for example, there's, and the statement I read, and this was just one that I pulled up because I was, you know, really interested in how this language reads into our, you know, inherent bias that we come with because of all this information we've been blasted with. Mm. And the, the statement is in Ireland... 49% of sudden infant death syndrome cases occurred when the infant is bed sharing with an adult. Let me pause for a second. What we hear is infant bed sharing with an adult, 49% babies died. So 51%. But what this actually saying, 
Yeah, 51% didn't die in yeah. the parents' bed. They died outside of the parents' bed in their own bed. So we, yeah. to rephrase that, we could actually say less babies died in the parents' bed than died in their own bed, but that's not what we hear. It's yeah, not yeah. even what this research was yeah. structured around. Well, and yeah. I would I want to clarify and say less babies died in their parents' bed than in other surfaces because it might be in a car seat, exactly. it might be in a stroller, exactly. It, might be, it could yeah. be exactly. Exactly. So there's an interesting Queensland Pediatric Quality Council. Uh, so Queensland is a state in Australia. So that's where I, you know a lot of my gaze is facing. And it does say that 19 of the babies studied, which was 49% of the babies studied in Australia. So this is also 49%. Mm. And Ireland was 49%. So it seems fairly okay. robust similarities. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying that of those uh, babies that died, 49% were sharing a sleep surface. Seven of them shared a bed of the 19. So it wasn't that every shared sleep surface was, mm -hmm. it was that there is a proportion of those babies that died in the parent's bed, a proportion that died in a sofa with the parent, a proportion that mm -hmm. died in other kind of inappropriate shared surfaces. Mm -hmm. What they also say is that of the 47 babies that died, and this is the thing, we're looking at small numbers, so it takes a long time to yeah. get large statistics. Yeah. Thankfully. Thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Yeah. But of 47 babies that died, 31 were exposed to smoking either before or after. 21 families were known to Child Protection Services for neglect. 19 of them, the carers were on prescription sedatives or taking excessive amounts of alcohol or illicit drugs. And 17 of them had already been assessed for mental health issues. So we're already looking at like the comorbidities. And this is where a lot of research now looks at this triple risk model. Yeah. There's the risk of the environment, the risk that's inherent in a baby for some reason. It could be premature. It could be just something genetically that we don't know about. And mm -hmm. then there's other risks going on. And yeah. it's a kind of like that perfect storm situation. Mm -hmm. So what we can do and what we do know is we can take steps to make our babies safer wherever they're sleeping. And we can decide yeah. as parents of our babies who are deciding everything else about what our baby eats and drinks and does and how they travel mm. and whether they're in the front-facing car seat for X amount of years or rear-facing for X amount, you know, all of those decisions we have to decide as parents. Yeah. We should also be giving the information or receiving the information to decide on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is the safest way for our baby to sleep? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's what the NICE guidelines are doing. They're looking mm -hmm. at how can parents be safe mm -hmm. and how can they have safe sleep information? So, yeah, I mean, I think Jacqueline and I, as both being Americans listening to this and having grown up in this culture of never co-sleep. Yeah, your baby should never be in your bed. Then as we, you know, became mothers and started breastfeeding and we learned about how to properly co-sleep with our babies, it's been, at least in my mind, this kind of clash mm -hmm. of culture inside my head, right? Like I have my baby mm. and I feel that they are safe. And I also read the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Protocols, which 
talk about how safe it is and safe ways to do it. But then I still have in my head, right, those American doctors <laughs> that I know if I were to breathe of this, like breathe a word of this, or if I were to bring this up with them, that they would have a complete knee-jerk reaction, firm stance against it. So can you speak to why and not not even the doctor, though. I think it's just, yeah. you know, this culture, too. Like, I feel super nervous to even tell my friend that my baby sleeps in my bed. It's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this is really where it becomes an unsafe practice. Mm -hmm. It truly becomes an unsafe practice because people aren't talking about how, how to do it safely. And, you know, I mean, if we look at the U.S. historically, like people weren't told not to sleep with a baby in their bed because of originally mm -hmm. because of the inherent supposed danger of it mm -hmm. the danger that people were worrying about still is pervading today is that your baby will never be independent mm -hmm. so there was that mm -hmm. whole other level yeah. of yeah kind of like <laughs> fake societal uh, psychology that we now know is not true yes but that also pervades as well like if you tell your friend that your baby is in bed with you, they're probably likely to be like, oh, you know, that's well, risky because your baby's going to want to sleep with you forever. Well, yeah. they don't. Or it's they going to ruin your marriage, right? Like it's right. going to or get in the way. Your marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Or your baby will never learn to self-settle, which, you know, is a whole other discussion on sleep uh, <laughs> and infant sleep that we could look at another day. And none of this is true. But, you know, these are there's so many reasons not to co-sleep in our collective kind of rhetoric. Individualistic cultures. Yeah. Yeah. And when you look at different cultures, you know, Japan has one of the highest co-sleeping rates in the world and the lowest SIDS rates in the world. Really? Of developed countries. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And so, you know, things like that is just ignored. Oh, well, that must be because they use futons <laughs> and they don't have as much um, kind of it's sort of a very much frowned upon for drinking and smoking in pregnancy and postpartum. Yes, those things are true. And those mm -hmm. things are also the reason why mm -hmm. babies aren't dying in beds with their parents. Yeah. High breastfeeding rates. All of that. We're disregarding a whole country's practice based on the things that actually makes their practice safer and that we could incorporate and make our own practices safer. Rather mm -hmm. than doing that, we're ignoring everything because, oh, that's another, that's another mm -hmm. place. That's another world, another culture. Yeah. And there's some inherent racism going on there as well. <laughs> okay, so the AAP's recommendation is what a lot of people are going on and what of people are um, basing their advice on and basing their practices on. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about healthcare professionals, also individuals. So the AAP says that basically they cannot say that bed sharing is safe. And they point in their kind of position paper to research that they say in the position paper seems to say that risk-reduced bed sharing is safe. Mm -hmm. And they say this is such an important research that we needed to be sure the research was correct. Okay. So we asked an independent reviewer, mm -hmm. a professional in the field, to look at that research and ask their opinion, is that research correct? Okay. So they're taking the research that shows that bed sharing could be safe, could be yeah. safe if done safely, and asking someone to review it. 
Okay. The professor who reviewed it said that based on that research, they cannot say that there is enough evidence to say 100% bed sharing is safe. A big part of this problem goes back to the definition. Yes. Remember that AAP are using the definition of bed sharing, meaning bed, sofa, couch, anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's sleep and surface sharing. So based on that, yes, the reviewer could not say that bed sharing is safe. So they've said that we can't recommend it at this point. But what they do say in the same report is that there are things that increase risk for babies, cigarette smoking and not breastfeeding. Mm. Okay. They also say in the same report that 25% of mothers reported falling asleep during the night when breastfeeding their infant on couches or armchairs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm. one in four mothers who were getting up out of their bed to breastfeed during the night on another surface are falling Mm. asleep with their babies, which is 50 times more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So in their own statement, they're saying that you should breastfeed because it reduces SIDS, but you should get out of bed to do it and make your baby (laughs) exposed to greater risk, Yeah, which they specifically outline. So the paper itself is kind of very contradictory, not kind of, it is very contradictory Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. the statements they're saying just don't add up in Mm -hmm. a way that parents can take actionable information from Mm -hmm. yet you know because you know pediatricians are not just baby sleep experts they're pediatrician they have to know everything about the human body in a little baby yeah you know a pediatrician needs to know everything and they don't have time to read the 85 pages of the nice guideline Mm. 85 Mm -hmm. pages that's just one guideline yeah. So they have to fall back to position papers of their governing bodies and their AAP is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do parents do? If you feel that you're not getting evidence-based information from your pediatrician or if you feel your pediatrician isn't willing to even engage in the conversation about what could be safe for your baby or not, you don't have to read the 85 pages of the NICE guidelines like I do because I'm a geek. You can just go and look at the <laughs> Lullaby Trust which okay. also uh, incorporates the NICE guidelines. The Lullaby Trust is a UK organization. Basis is a really good one, and they, they have connected on what their actual advice is. And even the UNICEF sleep guidelines are mm. quite good, but they're a little wordy. And when it's 3 a.m. Yeah. in the morning and you just yeah. want to know how to sleep safely with your baby, you can also <laughs> look at the Lalechi League Safe Sleep 7. Now, yeah. I will say that La Leche League, which I'm a huge fan of, I'm an accredited La Leche League leader, so full disclosure there, although that's a voluntary position. Jacqueline, you are as well. Mm-hmm. You know, these are voluntary positions, but to say that we are part of this organization is important. Now, La Leche League do say that as part of their Safe Sleep 7, you should be breastfeeding while sleeping with your baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, James McKenna, breastfeeding uh, and, uh, well, really a safe sleep expert. He's an anthropologist as well or a primatologist, I think. He also says that the NICE guidelines are correct, that if we make all these risk reductions, mm-hmm. our sleeping in bed with our baby can be as safe as a baby sleeping in a safe crib. However, he also makes a point, and this is what La Leche League is referring to, that if you're breastfeeding, your baby is at an increased protection rate. Mm-hmm. 
So breastfeeding babies have different levels of alertness. Breastfeeding mothers have different levels of alertness. And yeah. breastfeeding mothers engage in biologically protective sleep uh, behaviors to curl around their baby, to push partners out of the way, to while they're sleeping, be, you know, assessing with their hands, where is their baby? Where is their baby on the bed? Where is their baby in relation to the body and their breast? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is a heightened safety aspect for parents who are breastfeeding. So it really kind of lays into the fact of not only is breastfeeding better for your baby, not only is bed sharing better for continuation of breastfeeding, but Mm -hmm. the bed sharing itself is made safer by the fact that you are a breastfeeding. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, since this is the Having a Baby in China podcast, Mm. what do we see here in China? Like, what are recommendations by doctors here in China? And then actually, what practices do we see with babies here in China? Yeah, that's a really good question. What is recommended here? I mean, it's not often really well taught in China how to make the baby sleep environment safer. And you see that from the very beginning in the hospitals that Mm -hmm. the babies are Mm -hmm. bundled up in quilts and blankets and their heads covered and put on inclines that increase risk and things like that. If you see a baby born in a Chinese hospital, they are wrapped in several quilts, thick quilts, (laughs) padded in this really thick swaddling, placed in a crib that elevates, which increases actually increases risk of babies sliding down mm-hmm. and becoming uh, wedged or trapped or rolling um, without actually reducing risk of spitting up, Yeah, which is the reason why it's done in the yeah. first place. Babies are often placed on their sides, which we know to be an increased risk factor. So, you know, these practices start from the beginning and I don't, mm. I haven't seen personally a lot of discussion with parents about what safe sleep is from medical practitioners that is evidence-based if it's done at all. Yeah. When we're talking about China, we're often talking about babies go to community health centers for their checkups, and those checkups are very brief. They really look at weight, height, maybe a milestone, often not, and then vaccination. Yeah. So there just isn't time there isn't time to discuss what are you doing at home with the baby? Like what is the behavior yeah. around the baby? Culturally, often, you know, in China, there are a lot of parents that go back to work. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of families that have other caregivers at home, whether it's a yesao, the confinement nanny in the first month, or grandparents helping. And the focus on the confinement period being a period of rest for the mother means often the babies are sleeping away from the mother and oftentimes that is not in a crib but in a shared bed with a grandparent or yourself now is that safe is the next question (laughs) if we ask (laughs) exactly (laughs) i mean it's the natural continuation of that question is that safe and this is a question we get as well is it safe if we Look at Leleche Leagues and James McKenna's information that the person who's sleeping with a baby should be a breastfeeding parent, Mm -hmm. then it's not as safe as a breastfeeding parent sleeping with a baby. That's not to say it's inherently unsafe. Mm -hmm. We have to look at also then what is going on in the bed. Yeah. Is the baby overbundled? Is the baby overdressed? Mm -hmm. Is the parent or caregiver sedated in any way are they overfeeding a baby till the baby is essentially sedated 
Mm. You know, there are a lot of other practices that are going along there that would be affecting whether that is safe or not. So it's not something we can say it's safe for grandma to sleep with a baby any more than we can say it's safe for mother to sleep with a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of the techniques for making that risk reduction, making that area as safe as possible, have to be done just the same as it has to be done in a crib. And that's another area where we see if you go on any Taobao or anything, you see all of these pictures of babies sleeping on all sorts of weird and wacky, incredibly dangerous sleep devices. You know, like the information around what's safe or what's not is not really out there, but neither is it out there in our own countries of origin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what would you suggest for someone who's open? I have this mindset of I've grown up thinking that I don't want my baby in my bed for whatever reason. Maybe it's they're unsafe. Maybe it's because they're like, then this baby will never leave my bed. Or, you know, my marriage is going to be ruined because, you know, my baby's in my bed. So what would be some tips or suggestions that you would have for someone like that? For overcoming cultural like presets? Yeah. Yeah, and look, we don't even have to overcome it. If we don't want to and it works for you to have your baby in a bed, Mm -hmm. the recommendation is in your bedroom for Mm -hmm. at least six months. So co-sleeping in a way, it's room sharing. We don't have to overcome the information we've grown up knowing if it's working for you Mm -hmm. and it's working for your baby. Mm-hmm. If you can manage breastfeeding, getting up and down in the bed yeah. and continue with that, if you're not exhausted from doing that, which is the other thing, it's really tiring. Yeah. And people talk about how tiring it is to wake up to a breastfeeding baby, but they don't talk about the fact that one of the solutions to that is actually bringing the baby into your bed and breastfeeding mm-hmm. yeah. safely. And that would actually be safer than falling asleep. Yeah, I guess that's where my question is. Okay, so I've gone into this thinking like, I'm not doing this. This is not. Mm. And Mm -hmm. then I'm so exhausted from having to wake up because the baby is needing to feed every couple of hours. So then how do I? Yeah, so my philosophy for this, and this is how I teach my prenatal and parenting and safe sleep classes, all of this, is that as parents, we deserve the information. Mm Mm-hmm to make our own best decisions. That could be about labor, could be about feeding, it could be about sleeping with your baby. Mm -hmm. So I teach how to make a baby's own crib environment as safe as possible, and I teach how to make your own bed as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that a lot of people come into my classes, most of them are thinking, I don't need to know about this because I'm never going to do it for one of the reasons that you said. Yeah. Most of those parents, most parents come back to me in the first week, two, three, or four of their baby's life and say, I can't get this baby out of my bed. Mm, This baby is always wanting to be with me at night and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get the baby into their own bed. And I say, well, does it work for you to have the baby with you right now? Mm -hmm. Does it work for you right now to have the baby in the bed with you? And they say, yeah, it's actually working quite well. I say, well, All you need to know right now, at this moment, right now, don't think about the future. Right now, you need to know, how do I do this safely? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we just look, go through again, the points of making the bed safe, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Most of those parents say, why don't you teach this in your class? (laughs) And I look at them and I was like, you were in the class where we taught this. I spent like 40 minutes on this. I go on and on about how to make this safe. But the 
preconception of I'm not going to do this means it just kind of goes straight over the head of like, I've decided what I'm going to do with my baby. The problem is your baby hasn't decided yet yeah, or may have decided another thing. Yeah. And if we understand that that's not a failure of a parent, that's the other problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's not a failure of a parent not to be able to put your baby into a bed by themselves. It's a normal biologic reaction of an mm -hmm. infant mammal mm -hmm. to want to be on the parent. It's a normal biological reaction of an infant mammal to need to feed very, very frequently because of the composition of milk. Mm -hmm. yeah. They have to feed really frequently. They're not like some mammals that can feed once a day or twice a day. They have to feed. We're evolved and designed to feed frequently. And we're evolved and designed to have our babies want to just cling on to us for safety and security. Mm -hmm. So we need to figure out how to make that safely, how to do that mm -hmm. safely. And then if it's not working for you or it's not working for your baby, how to adjust from that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so great. my advice then at the end of that, after that big philosophical mm -hmm. discussion of my teaching methodology, my advice is to keep an open mind in parenting. Mm. And that is the advice that I say for yeah. a one day old and a 10 year old and a 20 year old, keep an open mind because what you have planned for your baby and what you have planned for you as a person may not match who you are and who your baby is in a day, a week, a month, a year, because we yeah. all evolve through the journey. Yeah. I think we've all ended up doing things with our babies that were like, nope, <laughs> my children will Guilty. not use yep. an yep. iPad. I'll never let my children play Minecraft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will only give them organic food. They'll never eat an IKEA hot dog. Yeah. Tick, 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 tick. How many yeah. of us have done all of those things? This is the thing we have to evolve, and we know that eating an IKEA hot dog is not the healthiest of foods. So we're going to risk reduce and we're not going to do it for every meal of our child's meals. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Ikea. There's nothing against yeah. your hot dogs. <laughs> when we're talking about like, what do we need to do with our babies? We're given realistic advice about food. We're giving realistic mm -hmm. advice about play and schooling and, you know, all of that. We're just not given realistic advice about infant sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So it's time to make advice and access to information so parents can properly make their best decisions around their baby's sleep, individual to them, their needs, their baby's needs, and their environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Luis, that was a beast. And I think you said it so beautifully. And so well. I really appreciated all of your insight and knowledge that you shared with us. As we are closing up, Louise, would you like to share like a little uh, summary of what the risk reductions are for safe bed sharing with your baby? So very good. Yes. So basically we're looking at the surface of the baby, a firm enough surface, and most modern mattresses comply to that. Old mattresses that are super pillowy don't. The baby is sleeping on their back. You are not sleeping on a sofa or a chair with your baby. You're not using extra pillows and quilts on or around baby other than what you're using for yourself. There's no other children or pets in the bed with your baby that you're not under the influence of alcohol more than you would be able to drink and still safely drive. You're not under the influence of medications that could make you sleepy or elicit 
recreational drugs or non-illicit in some countries. And your baby was not born premature, preterm, or with a birth weight lower than 2.5 kilograms. In the absence of all of that, you're ticking enough boxes that we can look into bed sharing with as much confidence as a person could safely have their Mm -hmm. baby crib sleeping. Mm -hmm. And possibly even higher if by doing so you are strengthening the breastfeeding relationship because we also know that breastfeeding lowers the risk of SIDS or SUID. Exactly. Exactly. And not bed sharing increases the risk of stopping breastfeeding prematurely. Like these are things that we know. And that's where we go back to the recommendations have to be balanced with the alternative reality. The alternative of not bed sharing is not without risk compared with bed sharing. Yeah. The one thing we didn't discuss is the thing that's always talked about and argued about is room temperature. Mm, Yeah. Especially here. So what has changed since we started having babies is that the AAP now do not recommend a specific room temperature. And the NICE guidelines couldn't find a room temperature that was safer than others. Mm. So what they've said now is that babies and parents should be comfortable in sleep and that babies shouldn't be dressed in more clothes than the parent. So they shouldn't be dressed in excessive amounts of layers. They can have one more layer if that layer is not a thick outer layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what they're saying now is just be comfortably cool in the environment that your baby's in wearing a similar amount of clothes. Okay. And that is enough, which is really interesting because there were so mm-hmm. many years of your room must be 18 to 22 degrees or 18 to 20 degrees or 16 to mm. 20 degrees or, you know, and that was so focused on, mm. but it really actually ultimately doesn't change outcomes as much as things like breastfeeding and not smoking and not smoking during pregnancy and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I missed that memo. I never heard like a temperature. Yeah. I had never heard of it until just like we started the WeChat groups. Yeah. People here are constantly asking. Yeah. And they have these whole little charts. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that because obviously different places around the world, if you don't have air conditioning, it's going to be different temperatures. Yeah. Ultimately, they dress your baby to the temperature that they're in and aim for comfortably cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Louise. Like Jacqueline said, this was a big topic and I really feel like you did a great job in addressing lots of different areas and facets of this really sensitive topic. So you are very welcome. Really appreciate that. And all of the work that you had to put into preparing and research and all of that so that we don't have to read that. Yeah. What was that? 89 <laughs> yeah. pages? Protocol. Thanks for reading pages. that for us. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, yeah, and this is the thing, you know, we need to find ways for parents to hear this information in hopefully what we've done today is succinct. But, you know, (laughs) thank you for putting it as a podcast topic, even though it's kind of controversial and and sensitive, because people do have very strong feelings, either what they want to do with their babies or what other people should do with their babies. And, you know, it is really interesting. So if parents do want to know more about it, the Lullaby Trust is a first great way of finding really easily accessible and understandable information that helps at 3 a.m. when you can no longer get your brain to work and you just need information quickly. And when that baby just won't sleep. 
Yeah, and there's no failure in that. Yeah. It's a normal, biologically normal baby. It's just really exhausting, so we have to work around that. Yeah. We have to work around that to make sure we're safe and our babies are safe while they're doing their normal infant behavior. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much, Louise. You're so welcome. And I'm sure we'll have like follow up after follow up on this one too. (laughs) We'll keep you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we could talk about safe sleeping for hours. We could talk about sleeping of babies for hours. We could talk about breastfeeding for hours, formula feeding for hours. We could talk about all of this for hours and hours and hours. And it's a good thing that you have a podcast that has multiple episodes available. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Your format is full of uh, ripe information. Well, normally Jacqueline and I say until next time, but I'm going to say it to you as well, Luis, because I'm sure that we will have you on again. So Jacqueline and Luis, until next time. Until next time. Until next time. I look forward to it. Bye. getting recorded.